<laughs> so let's yeah yeah okay 30 minutes on your hair i know that's a joke <laughs> but let me tell you mister with the advent of the pandemic and the whole zoom zooming thing and all that stuff the male makeup industry actually has grown oh i believe it has absolutely have I, you ever have you ever worn makeup or I has it been never in have. i never have because i never i was never in plays or shows or anything like that so i never never did i, I lots of friends who who did in high school but i never did well high school is a different situation my friend yeah. <laughs> well wait a minute if you were in high school what you were in the 80s right in the high school when you were in high yeah, school I graduated from high school in 1981 81 okay so that would be like the punk disco era yeah. so lots of makeup at that point too yeah, absolutely which, which is kind of funny if you think about that because I mean, makeup is, you know, is normalized more so now than it was back in 1981. But guys were wearing eyeliner they were. all the time back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I had buddies who, when they'd go to their, you know, dances or whatever, would have makeup on. Absolutely. Wow. Really? Well, I guess, again, it was that, that androgynous look, which is kind of funny considering I can't imagine oak in high school with friends that were wearing like boy george type outfits and all that i'm sure they weren't but yeah i, I mean i didn't have a whole lot of friends that way but i mean I, and yeah remember i only had 186 people in my whole high school so i mean oh, that's right yeah that's right oh my god oh i'd imagine that would have really kind of been a, a talk yeah. of the town yeah there were only a couple but there were a couple yeah well you know how small towns are right it's almost yeah. like there's a mic on every single like you know corner so every time you're talking, someone heard you somewhere, well, I, right? I tell people all the time, you know, I'd do something on the way home. And before I could get three blocks home from school, my dad would sit there and he goes, really? What'd you do? He, he already knew what I did. I, I mean, couldn't, couldn't get away with anything. Oh, my gosh. Well, on that note, then, since you're so used to being overheard, are you ready for the mic is listening? I am. Absolutely. All right. Let's do this, Oak. The mic is listening. The mic is listening. The mic. The mic is listening. 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 Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to The Mic is Listening. My name is Sia, and today's wonderful episode is all about leadership. So I was trying really hard to find a really good song that's not the standard, you know, Eye of the Tiger and We Are the Champions to talk about leadership and what it entails. So I went with a, I don't remember the name of the band now, some country band. Is that horrible? I can't remember the name of the band. Rascal Flats. That's it. Rascal Flats. Shake it off. Then you stand. And, uh, you know, I really liked it because in a lot of ways with life as well as with leadership is it's not always roses. It's not always, you know, accolades and all that good stuff. More often than not, it's making those tough decisions. It's more often than not falling on your face many times. Um, quite a few times is you know, perhaps questioning yourself and if making sure that whatever it is that you're deciding is good for yourself as well as for the team. So someone that's going to help me work through this concept is a guest I have been talking to for quite a few months. And I met him through a group called Service Professionals Network, SPN. So Mike O'Connor, I will give you a shout out. 
because it was a community that at first, I'm not going to lie, I was like, who are these gung-ho crazy people out there? And are they going to be my tribe or not? And honestly, I'm a judger. I will judge you up and down. And I could not judge a lot of these folks in the members. So if you're looking for an alternative social media platform for business in a way that you can exchange your services, collaborate with others, I highly recommend SPN. So on that note, what I want to do is just say one thing about Lieutenant Colonel, by the way, retired. Although I don't, I ignore that retired. To me, once you're in the military, you're always in the military and you'll always get the respect because you earned it, is that he's probably one of the coolest guys out there. And I can tell you, everyone knows I'm a hyper personality and I get excitable on things, right? And he kind of reminds me of like Caesar Milan in a way, where when you start talking to him and the dog starts calming down a little bit, I'm not saying calm, submissive energy or anything like that. All I'm saying is, he has the width. He has this impeccable ability to find out what it is that you want out of the conversation or whatever topic at hand and relate it where you guys make that interpersonal connection. So without further ado, because I could go into his career and if you want to 20 plus years in the military, 20 plus years in civilian leadership has served um, in desert storm. I mean, I, I forgot the list down here. You think I would have had it. Sorry. Sorry. Oak. we'll just clarify Operation Desert Storm. Um, I mean, you've been out. Um, oh, support in Bosnia, which another hot zone. Um, deployment in Kosovo. I mean, goodness gracious, a lot of instructor positions in the Army. I'm totally screwing up this intro, and I'm totally sorry about that. But I hope you will forgive me. Please, everyone, can we just welcome our good friend, Mr. Lieutenant Colonel Oak McCulloch. Welcome. Hi, to Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on your show. I really am. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, I don't know why, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, I watch because, like you said, we, we got kind of got uh, acquainted a couple months ago and we decided we were going to do this. And I've been watching shows, uh, your shows, and I, I love watching your shows. You always seem to, to bring out the best in whoever's on your show. So I'm looking forward to it because I you need know, all the help I can get. Thank you. Flattery will get you everywhere. And we could definitely keep going. I'm not going to stop you, but I'm just going to venture to guess. Everyone's pretty much tired of hearing my voice all the time. So, so, so let's, let's, let's talk about this real quick. Okay. Because when I had said that, you know, you have this incredible ability to make connections with folks that from all different types of backgrounds, personality types, et cetera, which I know it currently helps you in your current role, but let's, I mean, without sounding and going too much into the personal, I mean, I have to ask, did your wife feel that way about you when you guys first met? Because if I recall, you guys were friend zoned for two years or so. And then finally, one day someone's driving up in a, you know, a uh, what do you call it? A uh Mustang, Mustang convertible. convertible. <laughs> Zoom it along. And you turned your head and said, hey, I'm going to be friends with this girl. And she's going to be my girlfriend. Is that how it worked out for you? Yeah, something like that. Not quite. But yeah, we, we did. We met each other in Army ROTC because she was an Army nurse uh, for eight years while I was. Uh, she always outranked me. Um, you know, so the whole time we were in the Army, she was always outranked me. And, and w she got out of the Army as a captain. And so when I made major, one of my buddies said, you know, Oak, you finally outrank your wife. And I said, listen to me. 
I said, I can make four-star general. I'll never outrank my wife. That's not going to happen. But so, so we knew each other for about two years and we never dated while we were going through ROTC. We liked each other. We knew each other every day. You know, we met each other every day, just about through ROTC, either at physical training or in class or at lab, or we had study periods that I, I generally ran some study periods for cadets that were having some problems. So almost every day we saw each other. And then she graduated uh, six months before I did. Uh, so about two weeks after graduation, we went on our first date. And that was the 14th of May. We were engaged on the 2nd of July and we were married on the 17th of January. And that was 35 years ago. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So she, first off, wait, what I didn't hear last time when we were chatting it up, she outranked you. So you guys were, you guys were, in the ROTC, I thought, isn't there a rule about like fraternizing? No, not in ROTC. There are a lot of, a lot of ROTC cadets uh, date each other. But but once she got commissioned, uh, we were already dating. Um, oh, well, okay. we weren't because she got commissioned before we started dating. But um, <laughs> yeah, so don't get yourself in trouble, been, sir. There may have been a problem in there somewhere. I don't know. But, but, she, but she wasn't in our program anymore. So that, that that's why there wasn't a problem. Okay. Okay. We'll let that one slide. <laughs> we're just going to, we're going to gently move on on that, but okay, look, so you got a cool little, uh, you know, convertible Mustang, uh, blue must baby blue with a white top, which by the way, is, I just think is a way cool, yeah. uh, color combination. I think, I think Mustang should always have that, but okay. Good job. So you're thinking you're cool. And I think you said you had a truck at the time. So not at that time I didn't, but we, okay. then we traded in and, and I got a truck. So I had a truck. She had a Mustang for well, until uh, probably, well, when she, until she got out of the army, right before she got out of the army, about eight year mark. So, and then, so we had, I had a truck, she had a Mustang and then she traded the Mustang, traded my truck for a Dodge Caravan <laughs> minivan. And, uh, and so I got the Mustang for a couple of years. Okay. This is something that I was just, I, and I laugh for a reason because you traded a truck for a minivan, but you got the convertible. That's right. That's so right. she got the Dodge Caravan and I said, wow, that's a bummer for her, but correct me if I'm wrong. And we're not, Hey Dodge, if you want to sponsor me, you can. That's Why right. was that an upgrade for her? Yeah. So, so we had two, two kids, two small kids. I had, uh, we had a uh, both under two years old and trying to get two year old kids, two of them, in the back of a two-door Mustang convertible, which means the straps wasn't, it, you know, you had to take it completely apart to put the seat forward on both sides. And she always used to say, you know, she had this sexy Mustang convertible, but when the top was down, you could see the two kids seats in the back, in the back. Is it wasn't quite so sexy anymore, <laughs> but she loved, that. she loved that caravan. That was probably her, one of her favorite vehicles of all time. Well, hey, man, if it, if it could accelerate, that's all I care about. I have a rule. I never drive behind Priuses but and minivans. Yeah. So, but I think you're right. Dodge Caravans, ones I have seen, they do know how to accelerate, especially like if you want them to accelerate on the freeway. Hint, yeah. hint, minivan drivers, you can hit the pedal. That's hit right. The pedal. So, um, okay. So, you know, I was just going to try to tie that back to making that decision of like, okay, you've got the hot, sexy car and then you went with a hot minivan. <laughs> it, 
it was a sport model, but so it was I'm, a good looking minivan. But sometimes, okay, just like in life, uh, you have to make a decision that's gonna be practical for what's what you need for its time, right? There's a time and place for things, and I think that's where I tie it back to. And I am struggling, but you guys roll with my interweaving here, okay? It's like leadership. There's times when you have to make a decision that doesn't seem like the best decision, but in the long run, you understand that maybe this is going to be what we need to shift towards. So when you guys procreated and had kids, like you said, probably having your kids in the backseat with the wind and who knows, like gravel kicking into their faces is probably not the best idea. That's right. right. Yeah. So, so, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, part of, part of life, not just leadership, but part of life, because I always tell people, look, Life is all about decisions and consequences. Every decision you make in life has a consequence. Some of those consequences are good. Some are bad. And you got to get to the point in your life where you are making decisions that give you good consequences. Until you get to that point, life can be pretty tough. (laughs) If you're not to the point where all the decisions you're making, or at least the vast majority of them are giving you good consequences, then you could have to be in a pretty rough place sometimes. Okay, now now you're triggering me because I am queen of impulsive decision making, which if I were a gambler, I'm probably <laughs> at 50-50 of some good and not so good. Yeah. Um, so so let's talk about this because you know, you've you're a speaker as well as an author. And one of the reasons why I wanted you here is because you do have a book. And so I'm not going to be like one of those like um we're gonna talk about the book all day long. We're just not gonna do that. Not that I don't love you. Yeah, I, but I, I do want to talk about the book all day long. Well, I could if we wanted to, but no, I really just want to I just want to give enough information here because um, I really want people to read this. And as uh, Eddie Royal, who said he would love a signed autograph book from you. So heads up, he's in Dallas as well. So yet another reason for you to come out here, Oak, That's um, right. is is your book. OK, just real quick here, because I, I really think it's such a great opportunity for us to read, especially for entrepreneurs. Um, I'm a newly minted entrepreneur last few years myself. But just because you have a military background doesn't necessarily mean non-military background to people like me can't take some lessons. Absolutely. I tell people all the time that this book is not I didn't write this for, for the military. I wrote this for leaders. And I I am a firm believer that leadership is leadership doesn't matter where you learned it doesn't matter where you practiced it if you can lead people because leadership is all about people if you can lead people you can lead any organization and i you know i that the example i always use is i don't know anything about a hospital i hate hospitals there's bad people in there mean people in there trying to do mean things to me like give me shots and stuff like that so i stay as far away from my hospital as i can but if you put me in charge of a hospital tomorrow I'll run that hospital and I'll probably run it as well as whoever's running it right now because I know how to lead. And and I'm a perfect example of that because when I was in the army, I was a combat arms officer, infantry armor officer, you know, paid to fight and win our nation's wars, kill people and blow stuff up. When I retired, I ran a food bank for 18 months. You don't get any different than that. That's a 180 degree difference. When I took over that food bank, we were handing out 1.2 million pounds of food a year. When I 18 months later, when I gave it up to the next person, uh, we were handing out 3.8 million pounds of food. So wow, leadership is leadership. You can lead any organization as long as you know how to lead people. And because and, it is, it's all about people. It's not about flow charts. And it, it's about how do you treat people? That's what it's about. Okay. 
you have so much to unpack right there, Alon, right? I think conceptually, many of us have had conversations about leadership. Many of us are in leadership type roles, some more successful endeavors and others not, right? There's a mentality for some to say, I'm going to lead by example. There's others that are, I'm going to lead by, uh, you know, servant leadership. Mm -hmm. And there's also different philosophies around that pull, push, lift, you know, tweak it here and there. So in your book, you have these like principles. I don't, I'm not going to lay them all out. I, I would just like to highlight just a couple. Okay. Um, because I think for it, it's one of those things that struck me about you. Okay. Is communication. It is so much easier said than done. That one word to me is a bane of my existence because there are times where I feel like I'm speaking English, aren't I? That is our mutual <laughs> common language. Right. That's and it's right. not happening. So yeah. help me understand what you mean by this, because there's more to it than just simply saying words or writing words. Yeah, absolutely. There are. And I think I think, you know, one of the things I say is when, first of all, communication is all forms of communication. Uh, if you want to be a leader or even if you just want don't even if you're not a leader, if you just want to be successful in life. And I believe this, if you just want to be successful, you have to be able to communicate. And that means the be able to speak well, write well, and, and I include texts and emails and things, all those types of communication as well. And then you got to be able to listen. And listening is one of that skill that, especially Americans, are horrible at listening. <laughs> uh, and, and I and I was for many many years, and I'm still not. Nobody's perfect, and I I can just tell you right now that I'm I'm not as good as I would like to be. But I I, I make a conscious effort to to get better at it. And I had a boss who kind of taught me that, taught me a lesson on how, how, how important it is to listen to people. So I think you got to look at all those aspects of communication. But I always tell people, when you are talking to people, you must keep things very simple, you know, concise, succinct, easily understood. Because that old adage, if it can be misunderstood, it will be, is absolutely true. And there's two ways to kind of help yourself do that make sure that they understand because anybody who's ever been in charge of people and I'm, I'm raising my hand, anybody who's ever been in charge of people, you have given them a task, tell them what you want. And about a week later, when they bring it back, they, you, they hand it to you and you look at it and you go, it's not what I asked for. And they say, Oh yeah, it is. And you know what? 99% of the time, when you go back and look at it, that is exactly what you asked for. It was not what you wanted, but that is what you asked for. And they gave you exactly what you asked for. So two ways to, I think, to help prevent from that happening. Number one, get a back brief from people. When you tell somebody something, say, okay, now tell me what I just asked you to do. And they'll give you a back brief. Uh, okay. And then, and then right then and there, you can kind of correct things. You can say, yeah, that's close, but I need this. And, and so that helps a lot too. So I think the other piece of that is, and and we go to, uh, as I discussed in the book, and I and I and I talk about this all the time. I talked about it this weekend at uh, at the College of the Ozarks, talking to a bunch of college students. I talked about uh, Napoleon, and I think most people in the world know who Napoleon was. He's one of the greatest generals that ever lived, and he had a corporal that would stand right next to his horse when he was on the battlefield. And before he'd issue out an order to his generals, he tell this young corporal what he wanted. And he'd say, okay, young man, tell me what it is I just asked you to do. And if you could tell him in his own words, then he'd say, oh, great. That's a good order. Send it out. If he couldn't, then he would 
say, well, that can be misunderstood. So I got to get better. And everybody, I always tell everybody, I don't care who you are. If you, if you're in a leadership position, you better have somebody that you can bounce ideas off. You better have that Napoleon's corporal. And for me, it's always been my wife. I mean, because it's got to be somebody who's not afraid to hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And believe me, she's not afraid to hurt my feelings. Um, (laughs) Okay. Because I, I, I I know lots of times I've come home and I say, hon, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? And she never said it. But I could see it in her eyes. She's like, are you an idiot? <laughs> you can't do that. But then she'd say, OK, here's why we probably don't want you to do that. And then we'd go through it and we talk through it. And then at the end, I'd say, yeah, I know I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> she's, she's prevented me from doing some pretty dumb things in my life. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, does she give the same look that she gives your kids? <laughs> yeah, she does. I mean, pretty close. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, after being married 35 years, I, I kind of know that look when I'm in, about to get in trouble. <laughs> about to, right? Yeah. And you're still doing it. You're still going to push that button anyway, don't you? Sometimes I do. You know, sometimes she says, she says, you know, like the old Ron White thing that, you know, you don't, you have to, you don't, you have the right not to get in trouble. You just don't have the ability. Sometimes you just, you just got to step over that line anyway. In fact, oh. I, I kind of had that on the airplane this this weekend coming home. <laughs> so, so, okay. <laughs> you know, you just, you just inspired me on something though, but cause I never thought about this. Napoleon having a corporal say, repeat back. Right. Yeah. It's almost like you could have multiple corporals. You could in your life, right? Someone that you trust that's going to tell you like it is. Typically, it'd be a partner or, or life partner of some sort. Yeah. Um, and then there's another where, yeah. Oh my gosh, finding someone of if you're going to be managing, and I know I do talk about this a bit, but there's truth to it sometimes, which is generations, like generationally speaking, as oh. you know. I'm a Gen Xer talking to Gen Alpha, Gen Z and millennials. Those are three different types of conversations. And so if you can find someone, your corporal within each that will give you that honest feedback, you'll learn very quickly. Like some of the words that we're using may not resonate the same way with them. Right. So, So a good friend of mine, Roger Hughes, he was the football coach here at Stetson University, which is one of the schools I recruit Army ROTC for. Now he's the president of, Doan University out in Nebraska. Um, and I'm going to be at the end of the month, I'm going to be out talking at his university, talking to a bunch of his uh, students and his board of directors as well. So and faculty and some other things. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But he always used to say that not only did he pick captains for his team, so he had like five or six captains, you know, each offense had a captain, defense had a captain, special teams had a captain. But he said he always had three people that he appointed as communications officers. So that, and they knew that they had the right anytime to walk into his office and say, Hey coach, we know you put this information out, but it's not resonating. You got to come up with a better way of telling us how, because nobody understands what it is that you need. And he said that was so valuable to him. And I, wow. and I, I, I've kind of come up with that as I think everybody needs to have one or two people who they designate as the communications officer. And you're absolutely right. See, it needs to be, somebody who is not in your year group, not in your, uh, at your level. It has to be somebody that, that doesn't, that you have to try to make them understand what it is you're saying, because we do, we all talk in different ways. We all use different examples. Like one of the examples I, I used to always give was when I talk about autobiographies, I talk about Lee Iacocca. Well, when I'm talking to a bunch of college students, they don't even know who I, Lee Iacocca is. Have no oh, idea. Oh yeah. Who is, you know. 
and you you may not even know who Leon. I know. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but but yeah. So so you you have to. And my wife that that's one of the things she always beat me up on. She says you got to find some better example than that if you're talking to high school and college kids. I said I got I got it. Okay. So um, but yeah. So so you, I think that's a great great thing that you that you were just talking about. You got to find people in those different uh, millennial different year groups generations um, because it's different. Everybody's different. They really are. So, okay. So Maxiel just asked um, recently, would you rather be a leader or a manager? And I find that question interesting because in my head, I think I know that I, I feel like it's, it's two very different concepts. It so is. how would you answer that? Because that's an interview question. Yeah, absolutely. It is. So, so here's what I, what I tell people is I think every good leader is a good manager, but you can be a great manager and not have any leadership skills for the most part. Most managers don't have to lead people. They are in charge of an organization. You know, uh, they're not in charge of people, but they might be in charge of making sure that you get all the supplies that you need or in charge of a supply chain or something like that. So a lot of leaders don't need, a lot of managers don't need leadership skills. If they have them, great, because I think that'll make them even better. But but I, I've known great managers who couldn't lead out of lead anybody out of a wet paper bag. I mean, but they were <laughs> great managers. They could do everything you needed them to do. But I think as a leader, you have to have some management skills, but you also have to have some leadership skills, uh, because a lot of times managers don't manage people at all. They don't they don't deal with people except on the phone to get their whatever it is they're bringing in they're managing so um so i think that's the big difference and 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 a lot of people ask me so or they say i don't want to be a leader i want to be a manager and i said well, that's a personal decision that you got to make yourself i'm not saying man being a leader is better than being a manager it depends on what you want to do if you don't want to be a manager or a leader then then you're not going to be a good one so I don't try to force anybody into leadership positions. Either you want to do it or you don't. And if you don't want to do it, you're, I don't want you to be the leader if you don't want to do it because you're not going to do a good job. Right. Or you're not going to serve in the interest of, again, the team. That's right. Overall. Because it's not about you. It really isn't. Oh, my God. Stop right now. <laughs> it's got to be all about me. And what I want to know is this. <laughs> damn it, Oak. <laughs> I'm glad I can make you laugh. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I really enjoy talking to you. I mean, that, is it, and it's about conversation. You know, the only the only podcast I've ever turned down. I think I've been. I think I told you I've been on about 38 of them now. And the only one I ever turned down is it was a young lady who demanded that we go on a script. Um. And I yeah. said, oh, not going to do it. I, I just then just. If, if that's the case, tell me what you want to ask me and what my answer is going to be. I'll write them out for you. And you just read it. I, I, I don't look, I, there are merits to it. And again, as I, I produce other people's podcasts, there are some clients that because the audience is a uh, very niched audience, they do have uh, questions and answers in advance because they want to follow a script because they're basically talking to investors Right. I got but they're it. doing it in a way where they want to make sure they touch the points that they need to. It's dry as all get out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not my genre. It's not my interest. Yeah. I'm sure it's fascinating in their world because yeah. um, they do very well. But there are others that are simply like off the cuff where it's like 
okay, there's no plan. It's like no structure. It's like, okay, that's great. But some audience wants structure. They do want a purpose to the conversation. They do want a reason why, you know, they're talking, right? Like we want to understand what this conversation's about, which reminds me, I forgot to scroll this for a while now. So, hey guys, just to remind you, it's, it's, it's your leadership legacy with Lieutenant Colonel Oak. Yeah. Just a small pitch reminder there. But so let's talk about that then, because when you're talking about communication and you're talking about having that rapport and like making that connection and listening, really listening, because sometimes conversations isn't about the conversation. It's about something else. Right. Right. That's d d deeper than what we're looking at. So what if you are managing a team and you are in a leadership capacity where it is maybe uh, new, inexperienced individuals, not saying age, inexperienced to the role, yeah, right? You can have a team of, you know, 10 people rowing a boat for the first time and they've never been on water. doesn't matter how old you are. You've never rowed a boat before. That's right. How would you, especially today in this environment where people are changing jobs all over the place, you yeah. get somebody who out, who is older than you that you're in charge of, who's never done anything in that profession at all. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not unusual at all. Right. Right. So how do you, and uh, we're getting close on time. Are you okay? Can we go a little bit longer? Do you oh, mind? You want to go, we can go all day if you want. <laughs> I know we could, so you have to come back, but okay. Let me ask you this. Um, so if you get a team that's inexperienced and they're going to need a lot of instruction because they just don't know. Right. How do you give instruction in a way where it doesn't come off as micromanagement? Yeah. So I think, I think two things, and, and I've had this discussion several times over the last, I don't know, month. Um, I think the two things that a leader is so really is responsible for the two most important things a leader does is number one, they develop a culture of that organization. And number two, they have a vision and a plan of where you want that organization to go a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, whatever, however long out you want to go. So I think when you get brand new people, I always tell people you got to develop the culture and you got to take and that takes time, money, resources. And I somebody argued with me about three weeks ago. They said, no, all I got to do is hire the right people. I don't have to develop a culture. I said, Good luck with that. Tell me how that works for you, because that's not the right answer. I'm telling you, uh, you'll get a culture. It won't be the one you want, but you'll get one. So you got to do that. But I think for the inexperienced piece, you, you really do have to invest the time to train them. But then once you've got them trained, like you said, it doesn't do you any good to train somebody if you micromanage them. And how many people have been micromanaged? I know I have. And it, it's horrible. Nobody wants to work for a micromanager. So I had a boss one time and he retired a four-star general. So he's obviously way smarter than me, which is not hard, by the way. But Oh, stop he, it, you. But he, he said leadership is on a scale. And on one end of the scale, you got the authoritarian leader who micromanages, doesn't let you do anything other than the way he or she told you to do it. And on the other end of the scale, you got Attila the Hun in chaos. And he said, you want to be as close to chaos as you can get as a leader. Because that is allowing people to use their own creativity, their own knowledge, their own experience. And he said, and the way you get there, Oak, is very simple. He said, number one, you train them well. Number two, then you give them a task, tell them what you want. You give them the resources that they need to get it done. Here's 
you can have this use this much money you can use these people you got this much time he said and then give them the authority to make it happen you can't give away the responsibility that's yours a leader is always responsible for everything that does or does not happen in his or her organization you got to own everything in your organization as a leader but you can give away as much authority as you as you feel comfortable and you should give away as much of it as you feel comfortable and that allows them to do what it is you want them to do the way they want to do it and does it there's very very few things in this world that have to be done a one specific way there there probably are a few of them out there but not many most things can be done multiple different ways and the problem is if you're that micromanager who doesn't let people use their own initiative and their own creativity, then you're only using your knowledge, your experience. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care how good you are at what you do. You don't have all the answers. Oh, I love that. I love that. And it's true. Oh God, it's so true. So any people that are managing a team, just check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'll tell you it, you will, you want to destroy the, uh, enthusiasm or the creativity of an organization be a micromanager you are just destroying that organization you really are okay so i think that makes sense but look you can't be perfect all the time oak okay i'm just saying this right now so have you stumbled in, into that mistake Absolutely. yourself like give you an example because it is so it is so easy see ya. uh so um you know, it's so easy because because you you give somebody a task and you see them really struggling. It's so easy to just walk up and say, get out of my way. I can get that done in 30 minutes, but you're not doing anybody any favors. And I've done it. I mean, I, I have to fight that urge sometimes, uh, but you're not doing anybody any favors when you do that. You're not helping that person. You're not helping yourself and you're not helping that organization. Because here's the problem with micromanagers. When you do that, you cheat that person out of that experience. And that person can't pass that on that experience on to somebody else. So, so you're affecting your organization for the next 20, 30 years, as long as that person works for you, because that person can't teach anybody else who works for them what they learned in that mm -hmm. experience. So that's the evil of micromanaging is that you are hurting your organization for years to come, as long as that person is in your organization. <laughs> now, having said that, I, I'm guilty. I mean, I, I, there's times in my life that I've done that, uh, you know, that I've micromanaged. I wouldn't say micromanaged, but I didn't let people do it. it I didn't let them make a mistake or figure out how to do it on their own. I stepped in and, and kind of gave them some direction. And, and that's okay as long as they're asking for it, you know, because you don't want a, a good leader doesn't let their people fail. It's all right to, for them to make a mistake, but not to fail. And that just drives me nuts when I hear people, you know, there's some self, self-acclaimed leadership experts out there that say failure is a good thing. Failure is never a good thing. Does it happen every once in a while? Absolutely it does. Because none of us are perfect, just like you said. But it's never a good thing. And we should never accept that it's a good thing. And we should never accept that that it happened, that we want it to happen. We should never say we want it to happen. We always want people to be successful. I always tell people I want to win at everything I do. I don't care what it is. If I'm playing Candyland with my grandkids, I want to win. Okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And if you don't want to win, 
then I don't want you on my team because winning is, is important. In the real world, winning is important. In the fantasy land, everybody is a winner. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a medal. That's not the real world. Right. And no, unfortunately, no. Be judged by re results, as we should be. Right. I call it fire in the belly. If yeah. you've got fire in the belly, any you can train anything, anyone on anything, as long as they want to do it. That's right. And have, um, you know, the desire to do better each yeah. time. Well, and my father, and, and I always tell people, I'm, I am who I am today because of my father. There's no doubt about it. He was just a mean old man. But, um, but I am. I am who I am today because of him. There's no doubt about it. I, lots of things he taught me. And one of the things that he emphasized from the time I was a little kid, he had what he called his 75% rule. And he always used to say, Oak, if you can't do something better than 75% of the people doing it, you need to do one of two things. You either, neither, you either need to figure out how to get better at it, or you need to go find something else to do, because obviously it doesn't matter to you. And I live by that, and, and I believe in it. And if, you know, and you're, anytime you pick up something new, you're obviously, you're not going to start out at 75, better than 75%. At least most people don't. There's some people out there that can do that. I'm not one of those, but if you put forth the effort, if it's really important to you, you're going to put forth the effort and you're going to eventually get to be pretty good at it. And, and that's, that, that was his whole message is, is if you're not trying to be the best at what you do, then why are you doing it? You know, right. I, Somebody asked me one time, they said, so did you always get every job you wanted in the army? I said, no, of course not. But every time I got a job, my, my attitude was I'm going to be the best motor pool sweeper that there is in the army, whatever it was they gave me. Cause that's the attitude that you got to have. It, it, and it's, if you want to be successful, you got to, you got to have that, like you said, that fire in the belly. And if you got that, you can do just about anything you want to do. God, I can keep talking about so much going on with your book. I mean, gosh, you talk about, you know, um, you know, making mistakes and obviously you can make mistakes. We all make mistakes. That failure, I, I think that's a really good nuance. I'm perfect, but she's not buying it. No, <laughs> yeah, no right? No, <laughs> trust me. I, I catch what you're pitching on there. The <laughs> other thing that you mentioned that I think is interesting is delegating. Okay, so as an entrepreneur for me, I have a problem with delegation. Like, I feel like there are days and times, oh, damn it, I can do it better, faster, whatever. And um, I know it's something I need to overcome. So what are, what are some, just a quick little thing that you suggest for people to to let go, let it go? Yeah, so I, I think, first of all, again, I think the key, one of the keys to that is you got to make sure that they're trained to do the jobs you want them to do. And, and that, as a leader, that's part of your job is to make sure that they are. So you got to invest the time, energy, and money, and resources uh, to to make that happen. But I think here's here's the what I I always I, what the what the method I use. Anytime I think about micromanaging somebody or stepping in when I probably shouldn't, is I just think to myself. So if I was doing that job, would I want somebody to step in at this moment? There are times when you got to step in. I got it, and and you do because you, again, you don't want them to fail. But then, you you know, there's all ways to do that as well. But but do you, I always ask myself, is, is it a time that I have to step in right now or can I let this go a little bit longer? And maybe maybe you don't step in. Maybe you just give them a hint. Uh, you say, OK, I see you're doing this. Here's three or four ways I've done it in the past. Not 
this is the way I've always done it. This is three or four ways that I've done it, or I've seen it done. That way you're not telling them how to do it. You're giving them some options to look at. And then maybe they can take, maybe you'll spark something in their mind that they'll do something other than the three or four things that you just told them. But maybe that was enough just to spark an idea for them to be more creative, to come up with a new idea to do something. And you'll be absolutely amazed at what, what they come up with. You really will. Oh, no wonder you were one of the top recruiters for the Army out in Florida. Or is it nationwide? Is, nationwide. I, 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 was the, I was the number one recruiter for Army ROTC in the nation. Nation. Look, yeah. peoples, I'm just telling you. And and the thing is, what I thought was really fascinating, because we had this conversation months ago, actually, was, you know, the, a lot of the folks that you had talked to and counseled on, they didn't necessarily, not 100% of them all went into the Army because they maybe weren't ready for it at that yeah. particular well, and, I, and I'm not, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm a firm believer that this isn't about me. I'm, I'm, I'm here to facilitate if somebody wants to do it. And, you know, a lot of times young men and women will walk in my office, say, Colonel McCullough, I think I'm ready. I want to do Army ROTC, but I'm really not sure. And I said, OK, well, you found me. I didn't come out and find you. So you obviously have an interest. So I always tell them, I said, take it for a semester. I promise you, you'll know after one semester whether or not this is for you or not. You know, and I've never had anybody who comes back to me after that semester and say, Colonel McCullough, I'm still not sure. They're either sign me up, get me out of here. <laughs> and that's OK, because then at least they're making a decision based on what they know, not on what they think they know. But I think you can you can use that in not just recruiting, but in all things of life is give people understand that it's not about you, that you have to give them because it's about sense of purpose. Everybody wants a sense of purpose in what they do in life. I don't care if it's your job, your relationship, your hobby, whatever it is, if you want to if you want somebody to be good at it, give them a sense of purpose for what mm. they're doing and and you'll see a huge difference. Don't make it a, a task, make it something that they love to do that it's a, that's why they're here. And if you can do that, cuz that's probably why they joined your organization in the first place is that they there's something in your organization that makes your organization unique that drew them to that to that organization. So give them that sense of purpose that allows them to fulfill that desire to do what it is that that your organization is unique for. Oh, and my gosh, you nailed it on the head because there has been there have been articles written up about Again, I know I'm bringing back generations, but they're saying millennials want purpose. They don't want to take a job for the sake of taking a job because no. they know they can do a job, but they want to make sure whatever organization they sign up with, they have to align with the values of Absolutely. that of whatever their objectives are, whatever yeah. it might be, right? Yeah. Like, and, and I always tell people, one of the things I always say is, look, my generation, when I was young, a young lieutenant, and somebody told me to do something, I never asked a question why. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't an option. I just went and did what I was told to do. This generation wants to know why. And there's nothing wrong with that. It took a few years, a little while for this old man to figure out that there's nothing wrong with that. But there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, what I have figured out is that if you can convince this generation the why, they'll do anything you ask them to do once they figure out the why, as long as they, which is why they, you know, as long as it fits what, why they're in your organization. If they're, if it doesn't, then they'll go somewhere else and that's okay. But if it's what, if you can figure out why they're in your organization and you can tell them the why of why you want something done that aligns you, with your organization, they will do anything you ask them to do just like anybody else. I think it also ties into that sense of accomplishment and con contribution too. 
Yeah. Right. So we're no longer just a number in a company organization. We're we're actually affecting change in a way. Well, and, and again, part of that is the communication piece. If you can make them feel not make them feel actually make them a part, a value part of your organization. And they know they are just because of the way you talk to them, the way you communicate with them, the way you listen to them. I always tell you, I had a young lady this weekend at the College of the Ozarks. She said she's getting ready to be uh, a lieutenant. And she said, Colonel McCullough, if you could give me one piece of advice as a young lieutenant, what what is the one thing I need to do? And I say, every day, I told her, I said, every day as a young lieutenant, pick out one of your soldiers, one of the people who are going to work for you and find out something personal about them. Not business, not work related. Find out something personal about them. Are they married? Do they have kids? How old are their kids? What's their kids involved in? Baseball, basketball, soccer. What's their wife's name? Something or husbands. Find one thing every day. Find somebody and find out something new that you didn't know about that person. And once you do that, and and I got that from a boss. Look, look I'm. I, I didn't come up with that. A boss of mine that I worked for, he every day, every time I saw him, and it, it eventually it clicked in my mind what he was doing. But every day he would, I'd see him stop people in the hallway and he'd say, how you doing today? And you couldn't just say, I'm fine and walk off. That, that wasn't going to happen. No, and, and, <laughs> not going to fly, huh? Yeah. And this man was busy. I mean, he was a busy man, but he... And I never once, when I saw him either talking to me or somebody else, I never once saw him look down at his watch like he had somewhere else to be. When he was talking to you, his eyes were locked on you and he was asking questions, personal questions that he wanted to know answers to. Like he, he'd call, stop me and say, Oak, how you doing today? And I'd tell him, he said, how's Kel doing? I said, she's doing fine, you know? And, and she said, he'd say, well, didn't your kids have a soccer game this weekend? Oak and Kaylee didn't have a soccer game? I said, yeah. And he said, how'd they do? I mean, those were the things... And, and, and I thought initially, I thought, well, I'm pretty special. <laughs> he, he really wants to know about me. Yeah, it wasn't special. He wanted to know about everybody. Everybody, he did that with everybody. But he remembered. That's one of the critical things that I've seen so many great leaders do is, yeah. I mean, th- when I worked at Hewlett Packard, we had th- tens of thousands of employees and it was crazy to me to, to watch like, you know, some of these executives walk up and down and like there's one that i didn't want him to know my name and he's like hey see and i'm like son of a sea cook <laughs> try to stay under the radar yeah well you know you, you know? got a name like mine you know oakland and see i mean people don't forget that name now that could be good or bad depending on what you just did but yeah <laughs> absolutely but you know a good, good example of that i had a there was a three-star general during the first gulf war uh desert shield desert storm there was a three-star general general lock he was the 18th Airborne Corps commander. And I was a general's aide, so I got to run into him, you know, a few times, quite a few times. We used to, General Scott would go up and talk to him. And so I'd see him. And lots of times, I mean, he was a big muscular guy. Every time, Almost every time we went to see him, he was in the gym pumping iron. And the, the generals would talk while he was pumping iron. And, and I was just a lieutenant, a low lieutenant. And here's this three-star general. Well, about four years later, I was, three years later, I was a captain. And I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I was going through an exercise. Um, And I'm standing and I'm talking to somebody. And all of a sudden, somebody walks up and hits me in the chest and just about crushes my lungs. 
and I fall up against the wall and I come up and I'm ready to hit somebody. And here's now four star general luck. He says, Oak, how you doing? (laughs) What? Why would this guy remember me? But, But he did. I mean, that's you. You don't think that made an impression? I mean, that's the kind of things that are just amazing. And, and so I told, that's what I told this young lady. And, you know, you could see a light bulb go off in her head that, yeah, okay, I understand that. That makes sense. Because again, leadership is about people. It's about building that trust, building that, that organization, that culture. And, and I, I told, I also told her, I said, not her, I told uh, another young man that was with us because he was asking about trust and built and building a culture. And I said, if you ever if you ever break the trust with the people who work for you, you're done. You might as well go somewhere else because you'll never get that trust back. It's gone. Oh my gosh. I, I love that. And you know what? Oak, I can continue talking to you all day long, but I'm trying to be respectful. And I just realized I'm missing another meeting. Is that bad? Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, this is my alibi. I was literally live streaming. Sorry, guys. So for those that want to actually reach out to you directly, because you're such a great person to talk to. So I have a lot of fellow podcast friends and those that are just really genuinely interested in learning more about how they can apply, you know, maybe leadership or better execute for their teams. How else could they get a hold of you? Yes. And I, I'm always happy to talk to people. I don't care if it's for whatever reason, you know, somebody reads a book. I want, I actually want their feedback. And I actually had somebody tell me, I'm, I'm just a cook. You don't want my feedback. I said, yeah, I do. I, w- I want to hear because you have a different perspective than I than I do. And so I may be missing something. So I always tell people I'm I'm willing to talk to anybody and everybody I, I want to. Um, if you want to talk about leadership, or about life or about being successful, all that's good for me. Um, so I, I have uh, my LinkedIn and my SPN accounts. I have uh, a website uh, that you can go to. And somebody was asking about a signed copy of the book. Just send me an email, uh, go on my website, send me an email, give me a call. They call me at my cell phones um, on my my website. Give me a phone call and we'll figure out a way to get you a signed copy of the book if that's really what you want. But if you just want to talk, if you if you've got an issue at work and you're trying to figure out a way to get through it and you want to call me and ask me what my opinion, I'm happy to tell you. I actually had a young lady in Ohio, somewhere in Ohio. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, um, who who uh, says she bought my book and it's all tabbed and highlighted and she uses it as a workbook and she was having problems in some something in at work and she called me up and I gave her okay got a little bit of information I said well this is what I would do and she did it and she said it worked and she was just amazed I said I'm all, I, I'm happy to help wherever I can you're so awesome and. Everyone, there's a reason why I'm so excited to have Oak. I'm going hella long. I'm supposed to be a 30-minute conversation, so I I apologize for others because I'm not respectful for your time on that. But damn it, Janet, Oak is amazing, and I'm just so happy and thrilled that you know we are we are in each other's spheres of life. So thank you so very much for your time, Oak. Um, man alive, you're always welcome back, my friend. Oh, all you have to do is ask. I, and I said, what, wait, wait, 51 minutes? You know, you always know you're on a good show, that you're having a good conversation and, and having fun. When when you don't, you look at it and say, we've been on the, we've been talking for 51 minutes? I know. I mean, it, it just goes like that because it's just so natural. And, and you know, you're such a natural conversationalist. That's, I think you could talk to just about anybody. Um, but uh, but I, I've really enjoyed it. I really have. And, I, and all you got to do is ask. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you so very much. So, 
everyone, Lieutenant, Colonel, Oak, McCulloch, please, everyone buy his book. It is your leadership legacy. It is on Amazon and every other area that you can buy books from. I will send the link below. If you want to get autographed, Eddie, don't worry about it. I got your back, Jack. We'll get uh, that connected for you. And uh, one last parting thought, because the mic is listening, is all about promoting other podcasts. Just real quick here, I want to make sure that everyone understands there is Another one called the CISO Diaries. Yeah, that's mine. I'm selfish. I'm not going to lie. Um, we uh, publish uh, normally bi-weekly, but this week we actually have two coming out this week, uh, two very special folks, Michael Gregg and Val uh, Mukherjee, uh, talking about uh, their relationships with uh, South Dakota IT, uh, CISO over there, as well as Val, who started a nonprofit called Cyber Future Foundation, who happens to be our sponsor of the CISO Diaries. So check him out. That episode's going to come out tomorrow. And want to also talk about one of my clients, Power Your Performance with Gary Kleinman. He is on the MAP Esports Podcast Network, of which that we produce. And this is a really great conversational podcast about uh, looking at your wellness overall, particularly for gamers. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a gamer to apply here. A lot of the principles that he's talking about is because a lot of us sit on our you-know-whats all day long. So the same issues that gamers have because they sit, but they're constantly moving around and thinking and moving their hand-eye coordination absolutely applies to us as normal peeps as well. So check out Power Your Performance. It just launched with Gary Kleinman. Obviously, shout out to CISO Diaries and Leah McLean. And uh, I have nothing super exciting to say other than Thank you so much, Lieutenant Colonel Oak McCulloch. I think we'll wrap it up for another episode of The Mic is Listening. See you, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you.